acknowledge and identify. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Welcome, human. Logan! I am ready for you. How many of you want this to be lasting? I never heard of a Sandman running, ever. There is no sanctuary. Fish, plankton, sea greens, and protein from the sea. You don't have to die. Well, no one has to die at 30. You can live. Live. You are terminated, runner. Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner, overwhelming, am I not? Now, fly the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bin. Retrogram complete. Proceed 03303. Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro and today we are continuing our retrospective look at the Marvel adaptation and beyond of Logan's Run. So as with every episode that we've done that, I'm here with my good buddy, Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? And as a special guest today, we've added Mr. John Hyatt. You may know him from his work as a uh, an intern on Third Degree Burn, but now he's stepping up to the big leagues. Hey, John. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> it's, it's great for you, but I'm sure Brian and Tim don't appreciate that description. <laughs> I haven't even told them yet. <laughs> I think I mentioned to them that you were going to be on. But anyway, I'm sure they don't want to be considered the minor leagues by any stretch, nor, <laughs> nor should they, but let's have fun with it anyway. So, uh, yeah, John wrote in to us to talk about the adaptation, and we decided it would be good to, to add his third voice for this final episode. You know, unfortunately, I, I, and I do think it's unfortunate, this series... They did five issues adapting the movie, and then they did two issues beyond that, and then it just stopped dead. And what I heard, and I don't know if this is accurate or not, but what I heard is that Marvel thought they had the rights to go ahead and continue. And after doing two issues, they were told, oh, no, you don't. (laughs) So they had to stop. Suddenly get a (laughs) cease and desist letter from a lawyer. (laughs) I don't, I don't know if that's apocryphal or reality. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure on that either. I did look into that. I, I've actually got many more notes about kind of the history of all this stuff than I do about the actual issue itself. But uh, <laughs> that was one of the things I looked into was, you know, why was it canceled and why was it canceled in this way where, you know, spoilers. I know we haven't discussed the issue yet, but just to let you, you guys know that are listening, if you've never read this before, it just it stops. I mean, there there is no like oh, crap, this is the last issue, so let's wrap everything up. It's like you're in mid-story, and it's just, I mean, we're going to talk about the unsolved mysteries here at the end because there's a whole bunch of stuff that was going on that we'll just never know. Yeah, I want to speculate a little as to where we think it might have gone. Absolutely, yeah. 
But yeah, there seems to be conflicting reports as far as the the cancellation, but that seems to be, from what I could research anyway, seems to be the most common explanation that's out there. Is as you say, uh, Marvel thought they they had rights to just keep going, and uh, and MGM was like, uh, no, no, <laughs> that's not the case. So. Yeah, so they just pulled the plug on it. Interestingly, the cover still says the official adaptation of the MGM production, which now we're beyond the adaptation. Right. Yeah, you know, after the last issue where they really played up the fact of, you know, beyond the movie, beyond the film, uh, I'm trying to flip to it real, here real quick for what, exactly what the cover copy was, but it was, uh, oh yeah, here it goes. Marvel takes you beyond the book, beyond the movie. So yeah, you know they were really playing that up in the prior issue, which was the first issue beyond the movie, and then in this one, yeah, as you say, that's a good catch. I didn't catch that, but I did catch something else, starting with, I think it was issue five, is where they added the header at the top. You know, like Marvel during the the seventies and eighties had that header at the top that would kind of tell you what the book was about. Mm-hmm. You know, like with the Avengers, it was, you know, the one where, you know, no, you know, to battle the foes, no single superhero could withstand or whatever. You know, Stan Lee presents the Avengers. They started doing that with Logan's run, as I say, I think it was issue five, which was basically the, the movie's tagline of, you know, it's a perfect world, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but there's only one catch. This one completely changes. The last issue, it's, uh, it says, welcome to the 23rd century, the twilight of civilization, where the choice between chaos and rebirth is in the hands of Logan Five, Sandman, Savior, Runner, and Public Enemy Number One, which I think hints at where they were headed with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good catch as well. Uh, before we get into this issue and do our synopsis and all, John, why don't you give us your background with this movie and this comic series, for that matter? Yeah, sure. I was 12 years old when this came out, and. Uh... Uh, I was really excited about it. Of course, I got the novelization. That I had two novelizations, actually, uh, because they had two different covers. And that was back when they had stills, stills from the movie. And I was really excited about it and read the book right away and then saw the movie. And I was like, what? <laughs> it, was, it was so different from the book. I was like, okay. But I loved the movie. I thought it was fun and cool. And um, I actually... My first issue of the series was actually issue number four. <laughs> I saw it on a spinner rack and I thought, Logan's run right on. I picked it up and it was like box and all of that aspect of things. And uh, But I was able to get the previous uh, previous three issues and uh, it was my favorite, favorite. I've read it over and over and over again. I, I think Perez's artwork is like tops. It was so good. And, and I've never done what you what you did, Scott, where you like watch the movie with the comic book in your lap. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it was it was more of read the comic with the movie in my head because it's oh. one of those movies like Star Wars where I've seen it so many times I've just pretty much got it memorized. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I just like the movie. I thought it, I thought it's fun. I still enjoy it, and yeah, it's hokey in places and. Uh, the special effects pale in comparison to what it, someone can do on their iPhone today, I'm sure. But um, I still love it. I still have a good time when I watch it. And when it stopped suddenly, I was like, what the heck is going on? Why, where's my Logan's run? I, I was, uh, and there was no internet to tell us what was happening. There was no previews magazine, no wizard magazine, nothing for, for me at that time in 1977 or 
when it came out. So it was very disappointing because I was excited to see the story co- uh, go on and see where it was going to go. I, I think, you know, just looking back at it a little bit, to me, the most interesting aspect of all of this, and obviously it doesn't have anything to do with beyond the movie, but doing the comic series issue by issue, it's given me so much more of a greater appreciation for uh, Francis as opposed to Logan that he's become my favorite character now. So it's almost a disappointment to go beyond the movie because he's not there anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> Uh, only as a reference or, oh, or, I miss or is he because we're gonna we're gonna talk about that too <laughs> well the way he met his end i don't know how you can well you know what it's science fiction you could you could probably come up with some sort of storyline <laughs> where box came across his body and somehow reanimated it yeah yeah we're we're definitely going to touch on that something i wanted to to mention here it's uh you know i'm sure you guys have experienced this as podcasters having a face-to-face meeting with uh, with a listener for the first time that that's never actually seen you or vice versa you know maybe there's a podcaster or a radio personality that you never saw and then you run into them or you get to meet them or something like that so you know that when you're going strictly off voice that that can be very misleading and I, and I mentioned this only because John you said you were 12 uh, when Logan's Run came out, so you're you're several years older than I am. I must tell you, you have a very young man's voice because I had a <laughs> I had like a teenage, you know, little more than a teenager pictured in my head. So it's it's funny to find out that you're actually older than I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm halfway to 60. Or uh, well, you certainly. I wish I was halfway like to 60. Me? Well, yeah, me too. I'm halfway to the decade of the 60. You know, I'm 55, double nickels. So <laughs> you just keep rubbing it in, Scott. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I'm the young man. I'm, so I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> so I bought these off of spinner racks. I mean, and as did I. And then, in a, or, or in the the local grocery store, they had this big stand where they just put the comic books on the bottom shelf, all stacked on top of each other. And I used to go in there and flip through them and uh, look for my favorite ones. And, and then, like, I think three years later, I discovered subscriptions. So I got a lot of stuff that way. And brown paper wrapper in the mailbox. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's awesome. It's, it's funny that both you and I uh, came into this series not with the first issue, though. That's, <laughs> funny. The funny thing for me is I came, I came in at the first issue. I bought all seven issues. But I didn't see the movie until well after I had all seven issues. Hmm. Nor, nor did I ever read the book. Yeah, I read all three books. There's, a, it's a trilogy, and it's, it's pretty, it's interesting. You just have to really divorce it from the film. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you what your reaction was because I, I don't think I ever read beyond the first book, but my reaction to the first book was vast disappointment because it, it is almost a completely different entity i mean there's there's a little bit of crossover here and there but for the most part it's it's much like planet of the apes where it's like the basic outline and that's it you know everything else is completely different and uh yeah indeed but by the time you get to the third book and spoilers or anyone you're in a different dimension i think Uh, it's been so long since i read them (laughs) it goes really off the rails (laughs) nothing like this at all (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I guess at this point, Scott, you can give us a synopsis. Yeah. All right. So we're looking at Logan's Run number seven from Marvel Comics. Uh, cover date on this one is July of 1977. 
was actually on sale April 19th of 1977. Uh, that was a week after my, let me see, ninth birthday. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> really was. Cover on this. I, you know, this one really threw me because I feel like I, I'm fairly familiar with both of these guys and can pick out their styles pretty readily. But I I was lost on this one. I would have said Frank Robbins by the faces on the kids. It's not, though. This one is actually Gil Kane and Al Milgram. Um, you know, shocked me, too. I was thinking more like Sal Basima from like, yeah. those kids look like ROM artwork. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. I, I didn't see Frank Robbins. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't see Gil Kane, and usually I can see Gil Kane from a mile away. Yeah. I, I just think Al Milgram must have taken all the Gil Kane-ness out of it. Yeah. 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 I, I definitely see Busema in there, like with Logan's the, – the grimace that Logan is making. I could easily see that as a Sal Busema. He, he basically took the Gil Kane artwork and turned it into the house style. The kid whose face is just above the UPC box – or actually the UPC is like – overlapping on his chin that mm -hmm. face right there i mean i would have put money on it that that was frank robbins i really thought so see to me that's the part of the cover that looks the most like gil kane like that i if i stared at that i might have said gil kane actually i'm, I'm am i thinking of the right who's the guy that that just prior to the kirby run was working on captain america that everybody hated what's up that was frank robbins he also did the invaders because sometimes i confuse him and frank springer who is another one i'm not really crazy about either so <laughs> uh, frank springer i think is less stylistic frank robbins was very stylistic. yeah he was yeah, and i loved him on the invaders i i did too scott not so much <laughs> that's okay <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Let's see here. Uh, cover price on this one is thirty cents. Although a variant exists of this issue that I just found out today, there is a thirty-five cent variant that exists out there, much like uh, my beloved Marvel Star Wars in the early issues. Oh, I hope on resale it's worth a nickel more. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know because uh, I looked it up on uh, on you know my my new go-to for things uh, mycomicshop.com and while they have it listed, they didn't have a copy for sale, so I wasn't able to compare and contrast you know the the value through that. Anything different on the cover other than the price? The other you know they had a. a you know, they had a picture of it. All I could tell, you know, just from the little tiny like thumbnail was just the price itself was different. I didn't see, any, you know, any of the artwork was different or anything like that. That's that's interesting. Mine's a 30 cent copy. Yeah, I meant to look up my, my physical copy and to see which it is. I totally forgot to do that. It's more than likely the, the 30 cent, though, I would imagine. But I, I did mean to look that up. I've been meaning to start digging through, you know, because I'll be I'll be honest. I'm I'm a little bit confused why I'm continuing to buy back issues at this point because I've been voraciously devouring back issues lately, you know, as far as buying them lately. But then I read everything digitally, so it's really <laughs> odd, you know. But uh, I've really been meaning to start digging through, you know, my my comics, you know, in a physical way and and checking them now because I've just found out that apparently there's quite the back issue market for. Oh gosh, now I'm blanking on on the term for it. But there, those ads, remember those ads they used to have like in 70s and 80s comics for jewelry that was like right in the middle of the book, and it was a different kind of paper. It was like a stiffer, almost like a cardboard. Yeah, it was like a cardboard. I remember those. Yeah, apparently those issues 
go for a pretty penny on the back issue market because they they weren't that was not the stand it was a very of you know of its time before there really were such things as variants that was a variant and apparently wow. those issues are are worth more than the regular issues because they're they're you know they're rarer and more highly sought or something. So I mean, start going through my collection and finding the ones that I have because I don't care. I mean, I don't need that stupid ad in there. So, you know, if I can sell the one that's valuable and then just pick up a a nice, you know, copy of the standard one, I'll I'll do it, you know. But anyway. Well, when I was a kid, I I took those out. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I did it, though. They were awful. Yeah, I hated them. (laughs) So I carefully would open up the... the the staple and i would pull it out and close the staple and then have my book (laughs) (laughs) uh let's see where were we uh cathedral primes the name on this one uh written by john warner once again art on this one is tom sutton and klaus jansen or we know his name is really johnson but we're saying jansen just for clarity on this of who we're talking about uh denise wall is the letter Phil, I'm imagining it's pronounced Raish, uh, colorist, and Archie Goodwin credited as simply Arch Goodwin is the editor on this one, and synopsis as follows. In the 23rd century. This is Logan's world. It is a time and place where, for as long as the people can remember, a computer controlled their destiny. That has all changed. Now they are on their own in a frighteningly transformed world. Logan 5 descends into the computer core only to discover that only one section appears damaged. Strangely, the damage seems to have happened a long time ago. Logan sees that the main carrier cable has been cut, not worn away. As he examines the damage, he sees indications of a dome beyond Cathedral where none is supposed to exist. But before he can ponder this mystery, the LaserNet core defense system activates and forces him to flee back to the surface. As he ascends, he speculates upon what he's seen in the core and wonders if there's something still worth seeking outside, possibly even Sanctuary itself. In the city, the Sandmen start making preliminary plans to restore power and some sense of normality to the lives of the citizenry when they are unexpectedly attacked by the Cubs from Cathedral, led by Billy, whom we met back in Issue 2. The Sandmen are overwhelmed by the sheer numbers of the Cubs. The regular citizens even join in the brawl to try to defend what's left of their homes, but having been raised in the pacified environment where everything has been provided for them has left them ill-prepared for brutal combat, and they are easily rebuffed by the feral children. Billy and his followers capture a helpless injured Sandman and try to force him to unlock the stores of locked food dispensers. He tries to comply, but without power or computer, there simply isn't any food. Billy and the Cubs, believing they're being lied to, go completely berserk. In the midst of their rampage, Billy's attention is called to a pair standing off to the side, nervously surveying the carnage. Billy locks eyes with the old man, and is shocked to his very core just by the sight of him. Just then, Sandman reinforcements arrive and rout the rampaging kids. Jessica is snatched up by Billy as the Cubs lay down a gas cloud of the drug Muscle to cover their retreat. Logan arrives and is briefed by Priest, another Sandman, on the situation and Jessica's capture. Logan wants to go after the Cubs and rescue her, and Priest says that the Sandmen will, but without Logan 5. 
Later, Logan ponders this turn of events, noting that the people have pulled back into the city, fearful of outside. He believes they're staying indoors because of the Sandman and suspects that Priest is up to something. Meanwhile, in Sandman headquarters, Priest is making plans to storm Cathedral when a mysterious voice offers him a means of attaining power and saving and controlling the city. However, first a pressing matter must be dealt with. Logan 5, the voice says, is a disruptor, a berserker. He has no place in this world, and he must be destroyed. One floor below, Logan has slipped into Sandman headquarters undetected and exchanges his ragged and torn clothes for a fresh, clean Sandman uniform and also claims his original death sleep gun from his locker. He ruminates upon the features of this outdated model and its six different kinds of functions, which is a total callback to the Sandman weapon as described in the original novel. Logan sets out for Cathedral and Jessica, unaware that he has been observed and is being followed. Later, his pursuer, a Sandman by the uh, kind of stupid name of Modar, reports to Priest what he's seen and that Logan is presently in Cathedral. Logan, meanwhile, is brought before Billy, where the two engage in a duel to the death with Jessica as the prize. Despite Billy's youth and being hopped up on muscle, Logan is still able to gain the upper hand and lay him out. Unwilling to admit defeat, however, Billy seizes Logan's discarded weapon and threatens him with it. But he is called out for not keeping his word and honoring the rules of the fight. Beaten fair and square, Billy relents and lets Logan and Jessica leave. As they do, Cathedral explodes with weapons fire as the Sandman raiding party sweeps in guns blazing. In the chaos and confusion, Logan and Jessica manage to slip past them, but a sneering priest observes, Oh, I wouldn't worry about that. He's gone deeper into Cathedral, and he won't last a few minutes without this. And in the final panel, we see that this is Logan's lost sleeper gun. Next issue, The Renewal Run. Find out what lies beyond Cathedral and what is Mind Sin, plus the return of. But that would be telling. So, what'd you think of issue seven, guys? I I found it very disappointing that we didn't get an issue eight. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and reading it, you know, reading it for the first time in many years, uh, I didn't really have much of a memory of it, and doing so with the knowledge that there was never going to be an issue eight and that we were never going to find out the resolution of the mysteries that were presented kind of bothered me. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's almost, I think I would have, I think I would have liked it a lot if it was leading into a, an issue eight, but with the foreknowledge that we weren't going to get any resolution, it, it, it took away my, from my level of enjoyment. Yeah, maybe the resolution is that it was really uh, the group of old men that was uh, on the TV series running the city. Oh, OK. I, I have to admit, I've never watched the TV show and I've often wondered if, if maybe I need to, because I've heard conflicting stories on that, you know, of the, of the quality and, and all of that. <laughs> Having never seen it, my correct me if I'm wrong, but my impression is that the TV series is basically a almost like an alternate reality, like it's a retelling of the story that that's slightly different from both the book and the movie. Is that right? Basically, the TV series is uh, that they just never, they never came back and destroyed the domes. And Francis 
ends up going out with a posse of people to uh, track Logan and Jessica down. And meanwhile, Jessica and Logan are running around and they never meet Ballard, the old man, and they run into these little pockets of civilizations and have adventures with them. So it's a it's like an action series. So that was basically and the pilot episode was a lot. They used a lot of footage from the film <laughs> to tell the story, but then they intercut these different things with um, Heather Menzies and, and what's his name who played the uh, character. Or played Logan on there, so, yeah. Yeah, it was, um, well, I'm just trying to blank on it, because I know. Gregory Harrison. Gregory Harrison, great, right, okay. And so. But, yeah, very different from Michael York. Yeah, <laughs> very different. But um, Francis uh, had a lot of stuff on there, and they, they did a lot of cool stuff with Francis. So as your favorite character from the book, the comic books, um, he actually, you actually got to hang out with Francis, because he didn't get killed in the TV series. Um, should anyone watch it? Eh, I would say only as a matter of research. <laughs> I think you'll be I mean, very it's only disappointed. Like, what, like 14 episodes or something like that? Yeah. So, I mean, it wouldn't be that much of a slog to get through, I wouldn't imagine. So. No, it wouldn't be. It's very light. Yes, it was uh, released on DVD. I There's a channel called Dust, I think, and it's on there. It's a sci-fi uh, channel that you can, I think, get through Hulu or something like that. And uh, it's all on there. That's how I, I watched the uh, pilot episode, just to kind of say, okay, what's the difference between the the real movie and then this one? So yeah, you, uh, and I was like, oh, okay. So and then that, basically, I have to check into it sometime, just out of pure curiosity, more than anything else. Yeah. So basically, the the city is run by this council of old men, and they get Francis to go out and and catch Logan and Jessica. I kind of like that conceptually because. You get this this city that's putting people basically to death when they hit 30. And to find out that the masterminds behind it all are old men would would just be a kind of a a nice twist. And, you know, kind of like how in the movie, Francis was true to the city to the end. I mean, he never gave up. Uh, Even in the TV series, when Francis is confronted with, oh, my gosh, this is not what we were taught or nothing – um, he's like, OK, and he, he stays on board with it because he, he's there to protect the way the the, the, the life of the city and, and all of that. He believes in it uh, all the way down. So he was willing to just go out and say, yep, I'm going to go catch my friend, but not for hmm. as a friend. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, again, having no touchstone with a TV show, having never seen it, it's funny hearing what you're saying about it kind of kind of makes me wonder if maybe some of the directions that this story was headed might have been to tie it to the TV show a little bit. I I don't know because the TV show of course was then going to be, you know, I'm sure they thought an ongoing thing. So if they were going to make this an ongoing series, I could see where they might want to try to ride on the coattails of that a little bit, you know, to piggyback one another. And so, you know, when we get to some of the, the lingering questions about where was this headed and everything. I, I wonder if that might come into play, but I don't know. That was one of the things with this that was kind of frustrating was that, you know, try as I might, all I could find out about what was planned or what might've been coming along on this, had it continued was uh, a page of undialogued art by uh, Tom Sutton. Uh, and then this inventory story, 
that was, you know, according to some of the things I read, it was possibly intended to run as a two-part backup feature at some point in case they got behind or whatever. They were trying to inventory stories because, you know, as we saw in issue six, you know, they had that filler at the end, the Thanos story that was never really intended for Logan's run. It has nothing to do with Logan's run. That's a weird placement, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it is. And and they did it just because, you know, the issue wasn't quite done, you know, the, the full story that they needed for that issue. So they ran with what they had and then just put that Thanos story in there to kind of pad the issue out, apparently. Um, so they, they were trying to inventory other stories. And they had this one that eventually did see print later uh, in Bizarre Adventures called uh, The Huntsman. That was by uh, Archie Goodwin, Michael Golden and uh, Steve Mitchell that I originally thought we might cover that as part of this. And then, you know, having looked at it, I didn't actually sit and read it, I'll be honest. But, you know, looking it over real, real thoroughly, it's very obviously a riff on Logan's run, but it's not in any way connected to this series or the movie's continuity or to my to the best of my knowledge, not, not to see it's kind of just its own thing. So I thought, eh, you know, we don't we don't need to be <laughs> we don't have to need to go into that much minutiae with this. But it's just kind of an interesting little, you know, side note to the whole thing. But that was about it. I mean, I don't know if it's a question of it's been so many years that the people behind all this have forgotten, or maybe it's just a matter of nobody ever asked them. But I could not find anywhere anybody on record saying, you know, gee, you know, this is, you know, the next issue was finished, or we just quit right here, or, you know, here's what we were planning to do, or, yeah, I had, you know, 10 more stories written. I couldn't find anything um, other than uh, this Tom Sutton page. And according to some, I don't know, it was a message board or something I stumbled across, apparently several pages have turned up for issue. Strangely enough, it's not even issue eight, it's issue nine of Logan's run pencil art by Tom Sutton, but I was only able to find the image for one. As a matter of fact, I meant to share it with you guys before we got started with the recording, but I'll do it right now in the chat, Paul, and I'll I'll put it in our, uh, in our Facebook group. But uh, here's the page that I could find. If you want to take a quick look at it, it's actually a really nice piece of art. Um, There's no dialogue or anything on it. So it's, it's kind of tough to get a sense of, you know, what might be going on or anything like that. But it's it's a nice little piece of art. And it looks like, I mean, it's just conjecture, but it kind of looks like Logan is in that other dome or or he, he's somewhere with domes anyway. Mm-hmm. And it looks like he's coming across some mysterious object or something. I heard it described as a tombstone in whatever uh, message board or whatever it was. I stumbled across the mention of these pages but I don't know, just the way it's gleaming to me, I don't think it's a tombstone. But they, they were saying it was a tombstone. I don't know. See, I'm, I'm looking at this page, and I want to say this the right way, because I do think Klaus Janssen is a very good anchor when paired with the right person. But looking at this page, I think Tom Sutton, since you already had Klaus Janssen on this book, and I assume you planned on keeping him for continuity purposes, it looks to me like Tom Sutton was the wrong choice for a penciler because this art looks like with a different inker, it would be far better than what we see in issue seven of Logan's run. Uh, But if Klaus Jansen inked it, I assume we'd see it the same way. And it, it just goes to show you that he, you know, Jansen is so stylized that if he isn't with the right penciler, 
his artwork just doesn't look as good. And I, I think Sutton here is making a really nice showing for himself in his pencils that I, like I said, I think you'd, you'd need a different inker. On I, I completely agree with you. Cause it, it's funny. I, I have grown up, you know, just about all of my comic collecting life thinking very poorly of Tom Sutton. And I've come to realize that it's completely unfair because it's just, it's a matter of the poor guy just keeps getting saddled with the wrong inker because my, my biggest thing with Tom Sutton was DC Star Trek in the eighties. That art is horrible, but I realize now it's because of the inker. <laughs> it's not Tom Sutton because anytime I see Tom Sutton, either pencils like this or with the right inker, like last issue with Terry Austin was beautiful. I yeah. really liked that, but I mean, come on, Terry Austin's one of the best inkers in the biz, you know, but that looked great. Yeah, that was my biggest note for this issue was the, the mm-hmm. art is a serious step down in this. And and I don't think it's because, you know, with with this as as something to give us information, I don't think it's because Sutton's a bad penciler, and I don't think Jansen is a bad inker. I think they're a bad combination. I agree, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think Terry Austin's work was way better on the art, on Tom Sutton's artwork last issue than on this one. And I think it's because they complement each other. Yeah, they really did. Yeah, they have similar styles, I think. But yeah, they, he really did compliment him well. And I looked up Terry's um, history real quick on uh, Mike's Amazing World just to see, you know, what, what was he working on that he couldn't stick with this? And he he had a lot of irons in the fire at the time. He was working on um, Captain Marvel. That's what it was. Captain Marvel for Marvel and then also doing like World's Finest backup features and stuff uh, for DC and those seem to be like the two main gigs, and then he was doing just a lot of like little side projects and stuff as well. So I've also never got the impression that Terry Austin was Vince Coletta, and I mean that from the perspective of speed, not style. I, I, I always I, I remember reading an interview with Terry Austin uh, about his work on Burn with the X Men, and the way he described it, he really was you know very methodical when he would take uh, Burn's pages and work on them. So I would imagine that was his MO all the time. So I'm guessing he was not the fastest inker around. Oh, nice. Where'd you find this? John just shared uh, in our chat another page for uh, for Logan's run number nine. This is nice. I've never seen this before. Yeah, this is in back issue number 34 where they had a uh, article about the Logan's run movie and the comic book adaption, the Marvel comic book adaption. And that page is in there. It's tiny, though. So I'm glad we can see it and uh, it cleared up. But um, since this page you showed, Scott, wasn't the same, I was like, whoa, <laughs> here's one, which m- really looks cool, doesn't it? I want to see this story. Yeah, it's it's really nice. It's funny because I have that issue of back issue. I've read it and I've read that article. I totally don't remember having seen this before. But, yeah, it is. Re- I, this is a very visual thing for the for the listeners, so I apologize. But uh, that third panel, I, at least I presume it's the third panel, the one that's almost like a Dr. Fate with the onk and everything, mm-hmm. that's great. The shading. And, I mean, this is very detailed penciling. You know, a lot of pencils you look at from artists are, are just kind of a rough sketch. But, I mean, this this is almost ready to go to the to the presses just by itself. This is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know what the stories were. So, it's like, and like you said earlier, it's like all of a sudden something 
something opened up and swallowed up everything about Logan's run. We barely have anything. I mean, no one's talking about the stories that were coming or what. So, and just, just in hindsight, MGM may have made a big mistake by denying Marvel the ability to come out with the book. Cause I mean, you never know, but in some, you know, uh, what if universe where they were allowed to continue with it, maybe, maybe the comic became a big thing, a big deal, like the way GI Joe did, uh, and all of a sudden they would have had a franchise that they don't have now. Well, yeah, I mean, on that subject, uh, you know, the the biggest vibe I got from this issue, it reminds me an awful lot. And, and again, I know this other book it reminds me of came later, uh, but it, this issue reminded me of uh, of Star Wars number seven. Now, star, the Star Wars series began with the movie adaptation, just like this did. That went six issues, so their first issue beyond the movie was was issue seven, whereas the first issue beyond the movie with this series is six. But this reminded me of Star Wars number seven in the sense that, you know, now you're beyond the movie, and I felt like both of them have the wrong... They're focused on the wrong elements from their respective films, if you know what I mean. I always thought it was really weird that the first post-movie adventure for Star Wars follows Han and Chewie off on some weird adventure that they have when it's very clearly it was the adventures of Luke Skywalker, but that's not who they chose to follow. And the same kind of thing with this issue, you know, there's, there's so many cool and interesting things I feel like they could do, and instead we just revisit the Cubs and basically, Logan goes back to work. Mm-hmm. Neither one of those are things I expected to see. And really, they're things I, you know, if I had a list of like, OK, if you're going to go beyond the movie, here's a list of things I don't want to see. Those would be on that list. I don't care at all about the Cubs and Cathedral. And I definitely didn't want to see Logan regress as a character. And he kind of sort of seems like he's on that path when he just, you know, he goes, he he gets a clean outfit from his locker or whatever at Sandman headquarters and kind of just tries to go back to work. And I'm like, that's so weird. You know, we, we, we almost drop Jessica. She becomes damsel and distress girl. And then old man gets relegated to background Moses. And it's like, Where's this going? Yeah, it was it was really strange. See, I I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I love when you lead off a sentence with that. <laughs> well, you know what? Because because I don't want to make it sound like I'm like I'm criticizing your thought process. Because I don't think you're wrong. But I think from from a marketing perspective, I think it's. You know, I think it's a common thing, especially, you know, in sequels and whatever, is you want to give the audience something that they're going to have familiarity with. Right. You don't you don't want to be you don't want to break the chains too much to the point where this is all new, because I think that makes it easier to say, well, I'm going to walk away from this. Oh, I totally get that. Because I don't need to learn all. Yeah, no, I totally get that. And I agree. So now that said, if if you're going to, you know, if you're going to. Go, you know, go into the the well where you know you've already seen stuff. Was this the right choice of things to hit on? I don't know. Yeah, and that that's more what but I was getting. I do understand the idea 
I do understand the idea of, you know, let me let me give you a little bit more of what you've seen. You know, to to some extent, you know, you mentioned the Star Wars thing. Uh you know, when when they started to do the Magnificent Seven in that first uh you know, that first post movie story, I think a lot of people just said, you know what, I don't need to read read this right. anymore. I think there were a lot of people who did yeah. that. And then eventually the book kind of hit its stride and people went back into it. So I, th- I think that that was a calculated decision by them to go to the Cubs and go to Cathedral. I think some of the moves they made in this story, you know, I guess we're not going to go through it page by page. Oh, we, we can. Because we just seem to be going into a discussion of it. I, it felt to me like there's far too much exposition in this story. Uh, 90% of the word and thought balloons feel like they're exposition. And I think there are more creative ways to tell your story. And then the choice that they made with, with where they were bringing the characters, I think there are more creative ways to do that. I mean, there, it feels to me to some extent like they were all over the map. You know, you, you went in, you know, last issue, uh, the Sandmen were the enemy. Then it was, you know, well, let's put them in, in a prison. Uh, but, you know, let's let them out because they could help us. Now they're protecting the people. You know, it, it's just it feels like it's just got no direction. And that's my biggest problem with it. I see this as three possibilities. It's either meandering aimlessly. It's just wheel spinning. Or maybe this issue is just kind of a subpar chapter of what may have been shaping up to be a really good story. And I'm, I'm wondering what you think, because I see elements of all three of those, and I, I haven't really made my decision yet on which one I definitely think it is. See, I'm kind of on board with, with the third choice, because I kind of feel like it had the potential to really go somewhere. Right. Uh, but I do feel like, you know, like I said, I do think there's, there's too much exposition and there's just not enough focus. You know, like I said, it feels like, you know, yeah, we're going to change the, the the way we're looking at it. And then we're going to change it again. Well, we're going to change it again. You know, Logan's the enemy. He's the, uh, you know, he's the savior. He's the enemy again. There's just too much of that for me. I, I like the possibilities that I see. And, and the biggest possibility I see with this story is in Logan being an outcast among his fellow Sandmen. Because that paints a real target on his back. That somebody, and it seems like somebody in this story already had this idea, but somebody might get the idea that if they just simply take him out and get computer, if they can get computer back up and running things again, that everything's just going to go back to business as usual. Because the Sandmen seem like they still have a pretty sizable army, and they're the only ones, presumably, that are armed. So even if you get citizens that don't want to go back to the old ways, they're not going to stand much chance of you know of you know making it out alive essentially because the sandmen have all the power and they've got the weapons so i think you've got the ingredients right there for a second logan's run where now he's on the run for kind of sort of the same reason but for a different reason as well you know now he's he's persona non grata which which it kind of hints at in that header that I read, you know, where it says public enemy number one. So I'm wondering if that was the direction they're, they're headed towards, but if it was, then they needed to just kind of get there and stop playing around with cubs and, and all this other stuff. Cause I agree with what you're saying. I mean, you know, you, you need to keep it familiar. You need to interject elements that made the fans fans in the first place. But there's a way to do that to where it just doesn't, it doesn't seem awkward 
or pandering or just let's revisit this to revisit this because it's familiar type of thing. And I think the master of that was like David Michelinie when he was working on Star Wars between um, Empire and Jedi. You know, he took us back to Cloud City, for example, and that could have been nothing but fan service. It could have been nothing but, oh, this is familiar from the last movie. Let's just do this again. But he made it exciting and, and everything because he gave you different elements. This doesn't really do any of that. It revisits the Cubs, but does it give us anything with the Cubs that we didn't already know or anything really exciting? They're just their bad guy of the week. Well, muscle. Yeah. <laughs> it gives us muscle which we, before we started recording we were talking about that uh, there's a lot of emphasis on muscle in this that we didn't get in the movie so that that's something actually as I was reading it and I started questioning I was like did they even mention this in the movie and so I was asking you about that earlier Scott you know because you're you've seen the movie more than I have well from, from my understanding is that there was a scene I, I believe it actually got filmed in everything where Jessica and Logan have a conversation in the, the tube car as they're headed to Cathedral about Cub society, how it works and everything. And he tells her about muscle, and it's some sort of drug that the, the Cubs take that speeds, speeds up their metabolism, makes them more efficient fighters and killers. But it's... I don't know that they ever come right out and say that it's fatal to adults, but the, the impression it gives is that, that it has at the very least, it has serious side effects. But uh, I remember there's a piece of dialogue, something about, I, I think it's Logan hollers at Jessica, you know, don't breathe it in or something. It'll shake us to pieces or something to that effect. So it, it has some detrimental effect on, on adults that it doesn't have on the children. And then in this issue, that's exactly the way it's used. It's used to as a defense from the kids to stave off the Sandmen pursuing them and that sort of thing because they can't they can't breathe it without having dire effects to them. Whereas the the metabolism of uh, of all the children that that use it is sped up. Where Logan and Billy fight. I mean, that's what gives Billy the advantage in the fight is that he's high on this muscle stuff, and it's it's making him quicker and faster and uh, stronger. I think they said 13 years old is the cutoff on the using muscle. I don't know where I read that, but I, I definitely did read that somewhere. Well, then you had said something about uh, another scene that I wasn't aware of that uh, was also. Uh, yeah, as, as I started looking into it a little bit. Uh, I, st I was looking up muscle, you know, whatever, Logan's Run muscle. And it, it basically what I read was that they filmed a scene of the Cubs on that drug that showing them, you know, in, in a sped up fashion. But the problem is with the special effects of the day, uh, it almost looked like, you know, like a Keystone Cops kind of thing where they were just moving too fast. And my understanding, I didn't get a chance to click on it, but I think they have like uncovered some of the footage that they did and it's available maybe on YouTube. So I can't promise you that, but I think it may be. So if anybody wants to look, you can I'll check it out. Well, that's why, that's why Steve Austin always ran in slow motion on the old $6 million man show, because if they sped it up, it would just look as you say, like Benny Hill or something. So, so when you guys played the $6 million man as kids, did you run in slow motion? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> and make the noise. <laughs> and made the noise. Yep. Exactly. We did too. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> I agree with you guys about the story. There was so much packed into this, and I think they had like four different types of concepts that they were presenting. And and then, you know, with the whole thing with the Cubs, they had to have had plans for for this because they took so much time and then introducing that uh that girl i can't remember her name now um they spent a lot to make her a prominent part of the cubs the, I mean, the one who actually has honor and uh makes billy live up to his word yes right. yeah. yeah yeah so i gotta think that they must have been doing this to introduce either some sort of an alliance or some sort of uh ongoing um antagonism either to the Sandman or to the citizens or to Logan himself. I mean, I'm sure Billy would always have this, this grudge, but, uh, but yeah. I'm thinking sooner or later we would have seen an enemy mine episode with Billy. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Because yeah, remember he's, he was already uh, kind of close to apparently close to uh, getting kicked out of the Cubs or right. based on his age. Well, that, right. that's one of the things that I thought was an interesting aspect that they could explore a little bit is the society they're against you know basically kicks you out at 30 meanwhile the cubs are in a society where you're going to get kicked out at half that age <laughs> right <laughs> just in, in my notes I, I i thought it was interesting was you know when when the cubs are attacking uh and the citizens say you know we've been through too much already and i started thinking to myself what the hell have these people been through <laughs> you know, except for the ones who died in Carousel, and they're dead, these people have been living in the lap of luxury their entire lives. They've they've had whatever now, uh, a couple of days since uh, their society's come apart. We've been through too much already. You know what? Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but for for them in in the in the society that they've been raised in, the environment that they've been raised in. You know, even just a couple of days of, you know, minor inconvenience can seem, you know, pretty traumatic. And, you know, they have been through a lot. I mean, their city blew up. Presumably a these, lot these of people These are the people, people from, uh, from Wally. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I completely agree with you that, you know, to us, you know, this is whining in the extreme. But to them, this this must this must seem pretty traumatic. Plus, remember, you know, the city got flooded last issue, and uh, I, I think there was a line of dialogue in there about a whole bunch of people died or something. But you know, ba their home's been destroyed. Mm -hmm. Their way of life is has been totally turned upside down. I mean, yeah, they're you know, they're a bunch of <laughs> you know, they don't know how good they've had it. But to them, yeah, this whole thing has has had to have been pretty traumatic an experience. I was going to say, indeed, they, I mean, they don't even know what rain and clouds and sunburns are. I mean, they just... Right. Well, they do have the, the mention in here that the people are actually afraid to leave the dome. Yeah. Which I guess does make sense. And I, and I think that's why they would they would revert back to, uh, hey, Sandman, help us out here, because they're used to the Sandman keeping order in the city. And for most people, runners are the outliers. They're the ones that are... You know, they're the weirdos because, you know, why don't you want to go to Carousel and, and, and you know, try for renewal? I think that's the majority of the people, not not the minority. So 
I don't disagree, but I thought that the turn from being against the Sandmen to relying on them again was way too quick. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. It was very quick. That needed to develop over a couple of issues. Yeah. Which obviously they didn't have. (laughs) Yeah. I just realized I'm flipping back through. I'm looking at, I think this is page 14. Yeah, page 14. I just realized that the city's not all a ruins in at least in this part of the story like it was in the prior i mean the city is supposed to be pretty much destroyed and here where logan's got a new uniform and just going back to work again it all it almost seems like everything's all back up and running already that's that's weird kind of looks a little kind of looks pristine in in those shots yeah it does it looks like a lot of it is i i mentioned the kind of the breakdown of, you know, being kicked out when you're 30, being kicked out when you're half that. And I thought it was a nice touch when the kids see the old man. And to, to them, it's like a nightmare. It's like the boogeyman has come. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that was one of the nice touches in this issue. Yeah, I agree with you. That was a that was an interesting uh, dialogue with that. I was trying to find it, but it was like, uh, why would we want to be feeble and have cracks in our faces. And <laughs> right. Yeah, Billy looks genuinely shocked by the old man, kind of stopped in his tracks. Now, did either of you have a problem of confusion between Modar and Priest? Because I, I didn't realize until right near the end of the issue where they actually speak to each other that they were two different characters. They're They're drawn and colored so close to one another that I thought that priests. I, I thought it was priests in all the scenes, like where Logan's being tailed uh, by the guy that's trying to get him alone in Cathedral. I thought that was priest. I did too. Yeah, and it's actually Modar. So I'm, I'm like, yeah, I, I had some confusion there as well. Yeah, I'm like, why are there two of these guys? I mean, because it's pretty clear that that he's going to make a power play here. That he's kind of. He's trying to take Logan out, and he's trying to set himself up. And I didn't understand why there were these two characters that, I don't know if Modar is supposed to be, like, the potential henchman or his number two or something, but he just seemed like an extraneous character because they're both so similar to each other, both in the way they're illustrated and in their motivations, that... You know, just meld them together into one character, I thought. <laughs> it would make the story less confusing. Yeah. And I know we said it before in a prior issue, but what what stupid names. That's one of the things I always liked about Logan's run was just the simplicity of the name. They're common names, or, or semi-common. Logan wasn't really a common name back then, but, you know, Francis, Jessica... You know, they weren't weird. They weren't they weren't spacey names or, or you know, sci fi names. They were people names. But priest, I've never met anybody named priest. Yeah, that was that was a priest. <laughs> I mean as a first name though, you know. <laughs> All right. Well you want to get picky. <laughs> well speaking of picky, I also I've also never met anybody named Modar, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Modar yeah, exactly. It sounds like an auto parts store. <laughs> Closest I have been is Modoc. Oh wait, Modoc. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so some unsolved mysteries here. So these are things that, unfortunately, I guess we're just never gonna know. But I'm I'm curious what you guys think. So unsolved mystery number one, and and feel free to throw in your own if you if you've got some that I missed. But uh, 
what do you think – what exactly was going on in the computer core? Um, like for like in the last issue, issue six, we saw somebody actually skulking around down there watching Logan. I mean, Logan never saw him, but we did. So where – I mean, what was that all about? I mean, do you think that that's Francis somehow reanimated? Well – because uh, based on our earlier conversation, it sounded like that was your theory. Not well, not really. So that that goes into another one of my unsolved mysteries. So at the very end of this issue, the teaser for next time is very intriguing because one of the teases is, uh, well, here here's all the teases: is find out what lies beneath uh, beyond Cathedral, which it kind of looks like that might be what's being illustrated in those pages that we found. What is mind sin, which I have no clue about that. And this, mm. this is the one that intrigues me. Plus the return of, but that would be telling. So I got to thinking, th- there was never a hell of a big cast in this story to begin with. But we can definitely eliminate some people. We can eliminate, presumably, Francis Seven. We saw him buried. Doc, who died on the table in his own machine, uh, Holly, who we saw blowed up real good and covered with rubble, and presumably all of the rebels. So who does that leave to return? And the only thing I could think of was box, or that's what I thought, or computer. Who else I thought left? Box. I didn't think computer was enough of a character to be a big deal. Well, the only reason I think computer is I'm wondering who was actually talking to. All right, was it Modar or was it Priest? Yeah, who was talking to Priest? And I think that's the computer talking to Priest. I think so, but I don't think that's who they were alluding to at the end. In the return, okay. All right. So I was in my in my mind that was Box. I was thinking it would probably be Box. Box, yeah. I, I was thinking it was either Box. That's that's my number one pick would be Box. I was thinking it was either Box or the only other one that could really. Lo, you know, make sense logically from a perspective of, you know, a shock value. I mean, it makes no sense logically, like, how the hell would you do that story-wise? But the only one that would work for, like, a big shock value of, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they're back, would be Francis. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what I mentioned. But I I, I don't really believe that, and, man, would I hate that if, if that had come. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to see zombie Francis or, no. or you know, <laughs> I didn't really die. You know, I'm not dead yet, Francis, or anything I'm like that. I'm not dead. <laughs> yeah. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not. He isn't? Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better. No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. Yeah, that was interesting, and I, I would only think it was box, but it's just – crazy i just like who was talking you know who was talking to priest i mean because it was very sentient right see i just i just figured it was computer talking to priest but i still figured it was box they were alluding to at the end i think they're bringing it all back really fast uh which i guess is typical for 70s comics you know that they are compressed but you know i I do feel like they should have let the mystery build a little bit and let the, the the drama build and and i just hate when i find myself you know, I guess it's when we when we talk about old comics, we say they should uh, decompress them more, and when we talk about new comics, we say that they should compress them more. <laughs> it's really what it comes down to. Yeah, there's a there's a balance in the middle there somewhere. Yeah, every once in a while we come across one that has the perfect balance. <laughs> what did you think of Logan's? I, I'm going to say lack of plan. 
you know, he's chasing after Jessica with the Cubs, and he just comes strolling in like Luke walking onto the Death Star. Right. Yeah, I, I didn't know what to make. I didn't know what to make of him in in this issue, quite honestly. I, I don't – I didn't feel like he put in a very good showing in this one. I agree. To a point where he almost seems out of character. And there's almost a bit of a narrative jump between the end of the last issue and the beginning of this one because at the end of the last issue, it really gives the impression like – he has seen or learned something shocking, disturbing, you know, unsettling, game-changing. And then in this one, it's just, oh, he's descending, you know, he's he's riding the gravity waves or whatever the hell it is through this tube thing. And, you know, he finds that a, a cable's been cut and then he gets shot out and he leaves. So there is no big revelation. So that's where it lent into this sense of, are they just making this up as they go? Or is there really a plan here? You know, he goes back, he changes his uniform, he tries to go back to work. Yeah, he just kind of, he's actually the one that, that's meandering. So that's that's why I felt the issue had kind of a meandering quality to him. But it's really not the issue or the story. It, it's Logan. Logan's meandering. So, I, I don't know. That Yeah, you're right, because you think... They didn't do anything with that computer core bit, and it's just like, well, why did they even bother? Um, <laughs> we thought at the end of six we were going to get something, and we didn't. He just floated back up, and then next thing you know, we're going in through the rest of it. So uh, it would have been nice to see a little bit more about that to kind of get us moving a little bit more on that story. I, I think there is a, an element of uncertainty as to where they were going with this story. Uh, and and I, I hear that in a lot of stories where it's like, okay, you know, the writers will, I hear it more with TV writers than anything else, but they'll, they'll back the uh, protagonist into a corner without actually knowing how they're going to pull him out of it. Right. And then you get to the next episode and they have to, you know, they have to write something to, to do that. So that, that in and of itself doesn't bother me, but I feel like there's a lack of focus here. Like I, I think I, I mentioned it earlier in a different way, but I said, you know, they kind of go all over the place with, you know, what the people are doing, what the Sandmen are doing, what Logan is doing. Uh, there's, again, way too much exposition as this goes on. And it almost feels like like the story is just saying, OK, you know, we're going to just we're just going to plot along and I don't know where I'm going from one page to the next, not not one issue to the next. Mm -hmm. And I think that could have been plotted better. Yeah, I agree with you. Although I, I, I must admit that, you know, what, what John has said about the TV show has really got me thinking on this, that I, I can't help but wonder if that was having any influence in what's both going on in this issue in particular, but also in the possible direction that the series was going to go, because if they were going to keep their own continuity, but they wanted to try to tie into and, you know, have a synergy with the TV show that, that could possibly explain some of this. I mean, I, I kind of see it the same way as like back when the Hulk TV show was on, you know, the, the regular monthly Hulk comic didn't do a, a whole lot of synergy with the TV show. There was a little bit here and there. 
but there was like the black and white rampaging Hulk magazine that really tried very heavily to to ride those coattails of the success of the TV show and have a real synergy with that TV show, even though it, it had its own continuity that was closer to the, you know, the standard comic. And I kind of wonder if maybe they were grooming this to have a similar thing where they were going to stick with their continuity in the movie and everything, but they were going to also try to maybe go that kind of futuristic fugitive route that the, it sounds like the TV show was doing. And maybe, maybe this priest guy was going to be the Francis stand. And since Francis was dead from the movie continuity, but he was alive on the TV show and he was the pursuant, you know, in, in this fugitive story that maybe they were grooming priest for that. And it was going to go that I don't know. It's, I can see that, that would make though. sense. That would be. See, yeah. ultimately it feels to me like he put a lot of balls in the air and we never got a chance to see where they were going to land. And that's, that's kind of what I talked about earlier with, you know, disappointment knowing that this was going to be the last issue because I yeah. feel like otherwise they could have, they could have, you know, they could have had some of these things that we're confused by now pay off. Yeah. If we, if it had gone further now, yeah, that's... We have no way of knowing if, if he had focus and, and had ways of paying those things off or if he was just kind of making this up by the you know, the seat of his pants as he was going along. I don't know. I, I, I think I would feel very differently about this if I'd never seen those pages, you know, for issue nine. <laughs> but having now seen those pages, it, it just increases my sense of disappointment that that the series got canned right here where it did, because while I, I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest, while I don't think this, this one issue is very good. I definitely see the potential in where it may have headed, where it may have been going, you know, what it may have been striving to do. So just stopping dead right here is disappointing. It's sad, really. You know, it's, it's, it's very disappointing because it ends on, probably the weakest issue of the whole, you know, seven issue run. Um, but then it, it ends with so much possibility mm-hmm. that you know, never gets to be fleshed out at all. So yeah, it is sad because I, I tell you, you know, those, those two pages uh, for issue nine sure, uh, you know, they sure have me intrigued. It, it looks like it, it you know, Judging strictly just the images, you know, we have no idea what was going on. There's no dialogue or anything, but just based solely on those really nice images, you know, and the and the beauty of the art and everything, and what it looks like it may be showing us, uh, makes me think that yeah, there there was a plan there that may have really been interesting, but I don't know. Do you know if anyone's ever been able to get John Warner to? Talk about it. He was the writer at the time, so maybe he had some ideas, or has he ever shared any of those? I've been looking, and I haven't seen it. I haven't found anything, but I was wondering if Scott yeah, I, your research. I've done, you know, did did some minor digging. I mean, I, I have not spent a whole lot of time doing it, but I have done some digging around trying to find. I couldn't find anything. I'll have to say, I wonder if he's even still alive to, you know, maybe to try to get him and and speak to him or, or write to him and. And see, you know, one of the great things about comics is that, you know, a lot of times we'll see where if there's enough interest, 
that sometimes the companies will, will go back and revisit things that we, we thought were lost projects or abandoned projects, even if it's just, you know, as simple as like, you know, in this case where those two pages, you know, suddenly turned up out of nowhere. I mean, who knows? You know, there may be a script for, you know, issues eight, nine, maybe even beyond sitting around on, you know, somebody's, you know, somebody's closet or something or some mm-hmm. drawer at Marvel or something like that. Or, you know, there may be more pages out there somewhere, you know, hanging on somebody's wall or again, you know, in some file cabinet at Marvel or whatever. So, you know, if there's enough interest and enough demand and, you know, enough people digging around, maybe more of this stuff will come to light. I mean, I would love it if there was enough of it out there to actually publish, you know, issue eight or even issue nine. If, you know, if it if it got that far along, you know, to finally maybe not finish the story, but at least get more of the story. But, you know, I, I don't know that there's that much demand, but I mean, it has happened in the past. You know, you look at like canceled comics cavalcade and things like that, you know, where, you know, those stories were far enough along that they were able to see print in in some fashion so i don't know it's 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 a possibility but yeah i'll have to look into uh to john warner and find out what the whole deal is with him like i said i'm not even sure the guy's you know still around yeah and you know this none of this has ever been reprinted that i have found and i think that's sad i I don't know why you know i I don't know if it's mgm if it's the nolan and, and george clayton johnson or or what but i know they wouldn't make a ton of money but i mean they would make some money i'd buy a trade paperback <laughs> just, i would imagine it's mgm and the rights yeah but i mean they could just have i mean they wouldn't even have to do anything it just have the money just would kind of come in for some of that anyway ah, that would be cool oh well Till then, I break them out every couple of years and go over that gorgeous George Perez art and read the story and then pick up on these and then get disappointed like you, Paul. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) So we talked about where we thought this might be going, and I'd be interested in knowing if the two of you have any different opinions on where you would have liked for it to be going, whether or not they've had that in mind or whether or not you think they had that in mind. So I guess what it comes down to is if you were writing issue 8 and 9 and 10, where would you bring this story? Mm. Go ahead, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really kind of complicated, right? Because you've got two two options here. We've got do we stay and rebuild the cities or do we, we talk about it as coming out and uh, integrating them into the real world or do we let the Sandman – pick up from here, restore the cities, and Logan and Jessica kind of go off and explore the new world. Uh, And then we might end up with what the TV series was, which was they found pockets of civilizations uh, throughout mutants and humans and people with some technology, some with none. And uh, would that be interesting enough to carry it for a while? Um, I'm not sure. I kind of think it would be boring to just fix the cities and then that would be it (laughs) and we're just going back to the original status so i think it would be kind of fun to make it into like kind of what the tv series became only a little bit better written than some of those but those were written for what us 12 year olds at the time which i enjoyed watching the series then but it's the 55 year old watching it thinking oh really (laughs) 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 
Um, uh, believe me, I know all about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the best way to remember Arc 2, it's kind of like an Arc 2. Yes. The TV series is like Arc 2. <laughs> so, yeah. So I kind of think it would be fun to kind of go out. And I would like to know, are there other domes? You know, if so, does Logan or did they develop different societies? Did they develop? Did they all have this edict that everyone had to go at at 30, or did other dome cities have another way of dealing with overcrowding uh, and that type of stuff? And how would Logan and Jessica figure out how to get into a dome city based on what that artwork was on that page? What was that person in the death mask? giving them you know is there really a sanctuary out there so yeah i think that it would be kind of cool to actually have them leave the city behind i'm really not interested in the rebuilding aspect of that stuff or reintegrating i think it would be kind of cool for them to go out in the world and see what other type of stuff is out there yeah it it would be tough you know it's funny because i hadn't given a whole lot of thought to your question paul but it's an excellent one it, I, I give you a two-part answer because I, I think my answer would be very different depending on the scenario. Like if I was picking up from this issue, where would I go? Would be very different than what if I was picking up with like the first post movie issue, because that that was kind of my my thing. You know, as we discussed last episode, was that if there had been a sequel to Logan's Run. Right. There's definitely things I I would not want to see, because to me, you know, you you don't exactly have, you know, a fairy tale ending to Logan's run. But I I feel like Logan's run has a good ending. It ends on a high note. It ends on on a note of hopefulness. And, you know, the people have been freed from this system and nobody has to die at 30 anymore. And. You know, there's the the tear with the old man and all that sort of thing. So it has kind of a heartwarming <laughs> ending to it. And then you open the cover to issue six and it's like, everything has gone to shit. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, that's I, that's just not what I wanted to see. So I would have begun the story very differently, you know, from that point. But picking it up from here, I think a lot of it would be trying to figure out where did I think it was going to begin with and where I think think it's going and a lot of this is probably wishful thinking but kind of the same sorts of things that that john was saying that i think i'd probably want to put the city behind them at this point maybe explore it a little bit but it'd be like exploring it on the way out again just like in the movie not not revisiting the same thing not going back to box and the ice you know the ice thing and all that but kind of exploring it in a different sense, but definitely on their way out back into the world. I think Logan on the run again, Logan as pariah from his own society, and maybe even Logan being pursued again outside the dome by another Sandman or a team of Sandmen, I I think is kind of the way you've got to go with this because – you know what what's left if he stays in the city then it turns into almost politics rebuilding the city setting up a new society learning how to live and feed yourself and clothe yourself and grow food and all that and while that's very real world i guess it's also boring 70s comics for a 12 year old uh-huh. so 
I think you have to keep the action element up. You have to keep the, the drama and the suspense up, that sort of thing. And the best way to do that, I would think, is pretty much do the same thing that Planet of the Apes was doing, which was exploring the world they lived in. And, man, if there's, if there's anything I'm a sucker for when it comes to post-apocalyptic stories, it's exploring the world to see, hopefully, some familiar elements like, you know, the overgrown Lincoln Memorial, the, mm-hmm. the Statue of Liberty, you know, the uh, Washington Memorial, uh, Mount Rushmore, you know, those sorts of things. What's left? What's recognizable hundreds or maybe even thousands of years in the future after everything that we know is, you know, everybody we know is dead and gone. That fascinates me. I've always been fascinated by that. So, you know, they could, they could spend the next 10 years of stories exploring the post-apocalyptic world. And I think that's cool. And hopefully they'd meet all kinds of freaks and monsters and all kinds of cool stuff. So you could do that. But the problem with that potentially is that, they were already doing that with apes. And I'm trying to look here to see, was apes still running by 77? I, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was. And, and they were also doing it with commandy. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, yeah, that's, maybe, that's, oh, I'm, I'm not really concerned about them treading familiar ground yeah. as far as that goes. I wouldn't worry so much about that. See what I think what I would do is and you got to be a little creative here because you would have to put in some action but i would try and set up the political upheaval of the city and i would try not to focus on it too much because i agree if you go too much it's going to be you know it's going to be boring for a kid to read it so you're going to have to be creative and put some action in there but i'm also i also would want to show that there's a lot of uncertainty and unrest there uh and i th- I think I like the idea of finding out that behind the scenes manipulating things, there's a bunch of like 70 year old people that are doing that. Uh, yeah. And, and that somehow they have some sort of motivations that we don't know what they are to have kept killing off the uh, people at 30 otherwise. Uh, and that that could set up a big mystery. But I'd also want to have to send I'd want to create some sort of a quest that Logan has to go on. And probably with Jessica, it'll probably you know work out that he, he and Jessica have to leave to go on a quest. But when they're leaving, there's all sorts of uh, you know unrest in the in the city. So you don't know what they're going to come back to because things are far from settled there. Mm-hmm. And maybe, just maybe, if you can develop another person in the story who is you know, in a somewhat protagonist role, you can kind of have a subplot of that person in the city dealing with the crap that's going on there while Logan and Jessica are out exploring the world because they're on a quest to get, you know, some MacGuffin and bring it back there because it's needed in order for the thingamajig to work that's going to supply them food. That new protagonist would be Gardner 8. (laughs) (laughs) Well... I, I li- well, you already I like, have a Logan. I like where you're thinking because it, it's it kind of goes along with with the idea that I had. I think, but I really like your idea of doing basically two stories at once. You know, Logan, you know, either on a quest or being pursued or both, because I, I could see that going. You know, with Logan and, and Jessica being back out outside the dome, I could see that being kind of a two part thing where. They're being pursued, 
They've been forced to leave the city, you know, either to save their own skins or because they're being chased or both. But also, you could add the extra motivation of Jessica. Say Jessica never really believed that there that there wasn't a sanctuary somewhere that she went along with with Logan, you know, initially, you know, and, and him saying that, no, they're, they're really, you know, this the 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 Capitol building was as far as we ever got. And and that was enough for him to be convinced that sanctuary never really existed, but she never really bought it. So since they're being forced back out into the world anyway, now she's adamant. No, I, I really want to find this place. So that that's kind of your quest. That's you know part of your motivation beyond just being kicked out of the dome. Meanwhile, back in the city, we see that that rebuilding process, and we see. Two factions. We see the faction that wants to go back to status quo because that's what they know and that's what was comfortable for them. And then we see the faction that, no, we don't want the old system back because it means that we're going to die at 30. And kind of right in the middle of all that, you know, kind of caught up in all of this is old man. Who obviously, I mean, he wouldn't make it if they got kicked out of the dome and, and had to go back on the run or whatever. I mean, he barely made it to the city in the first place. And so then he becomes maybe not, you know, definitely not like an action hero or anything, but he becomes kind of a focus in the city element because he's that that living paradox for them, you know, of, you know, that living reminder of you know, both the, the the good of living past 30 for those that are interested in that, but also the reminder of age and frailty and, and all of that for those that are horrified by that prospect of growing old and feeble and wrinkled and all of that, as we saw with Billy's reaction. So I, I think there's your story right there, at, at least, you know, potentially. And I, I looked it up just to, to see... Apes had ended just a few months before this, so they were no longer necessarily, you know, would my thing was that not so much worrying about telling the same story or treading the the same ground, but doing it simultaneously with another one of their books. That was that was kind of my thing is you wouldn't want both apes and Logan's run telling the same story at the same time. But apes had ended. So there you go. I I don't know that. That that would be an intriguing enough buy for me if it was done, you know, well and keep a consistent and good uh, writer artist team on the book. And yeah, I think I think it had legs. I think it really could have gone some places. But all of that's with the caveat that this is a story I never needed a sequel to. So you know, there's there's that as well. But yeah. what I, what I also want to add to your your thought is, and I like the idea that the old man is the one who's back in the city running that subplot. Yeah. He has a connection to the old people who are running society, and we have to find out what it is somehow. Right. That's the other thing I meant to mention is that, uh, you know, I swear I've never seen the TV show. I know very little about it. So unless somebody told me something that, that just stuck in my subconscious or something, that's an idea I really like because that, that's something that, uh, I had thought on my own uh, a long time ago was and I think we may have talked about this either in a prior episode or maybe Honeywell and I talked about it when we did uh, our Logan's Run uh, movie commentary quite a while ago. But the idea of, uh, 
you know, that there that there actually is someone or some ones, you know, a sinister faction behind all this that has done all this to save their own asses, you know, and, and basically a, a secret society of old men or old people. And I that I like that idea. So I'm surprised to hear that the TV show actually did that. Like I said, I, I swear I, I, I didn't know that. But, uh, yeah, that, that I think that's cool. I think that's that's an interesting way to take the story as well. Yeah, there's some great opportunity for it. Some interesting stuff for sure. Yeah. But like you, I was also Scott. I was just like, I like it. It's a self-contained movie to me, and yeah, <laughs> it, it's just fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there there's certain there's certain ones out there that you know, as good as they are, and we come to care for the the characters and love the story and all that sort of thing. There's certain stories that. I, you know, I honestly feel like, you know what, you're, you're probably best off just it, it lives its best life in this one story. And if, if you start messing around with sequels and continuations, then you run the risk of of ruining it. And I, I think that there's a, a good number of examples of that with things like Terminator and uh, and like Highlander. Whoever needed another Highlander movie? You know, that's a perfect movie the way it is. So, yeah, Logan's Run's kind of like that for me. You know, Logan's Run, it, it's a perfect little movie the, or story anyway, the way it is. And uh, and I never really needed to go beyond it. So but th- this has given me some things to chew on. Definitely. I, I am intrigued with, you know, the mystery of the, you know, the, the dome beyond cathedral and all that. And, you know, who knows where all of that could have gone. It could have been really cool or it could have been super lame. Who knows? It's tough to tell from this from this issue because this issue honestly i didn't think was all that great but there you know there sure is some potential there so here yeah i think that's that's ultimately the bottom line in this one yeah. is it had potential and that goes to why i kind of feel like in if i didn't know that this was the last issue i think i would have enjoyed it more kind of waiting for where it was going to take me but knowing that it couldn't take me anywhere else it was very frustrating to read. Here's a quick question for you guys. Maybe not quick. Uh, movie. Should it be remade? Should it be a series? Should it be the original book as a remake? Or do we just take the original movie concepts and redo it? What do you think? I never read the original book, so I can't really comment on if it should be that. Uh, but I, I, I really like this movie. I don't think I'd have a problem with them remaking it, though, just because of the advances in special effects and the fact that I'm not really that big of a Michael York fan, that I I don't look at him and say, oh, that's the definitive Logan. It, nobody else could ever play this part. I don't know that I would mind them, you know, trying it out again and finding somebody else to play the part. I'd probably have more of a problem with them recasting Jessica than recasting Logan. <laughs> Jenny Agate, her fan. I think she 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 kind of fit the part perfectly, as far as I was concerned. She did. I, I, she she did. You're right. She's great for that part. Scott. Um. Uh, the the short answer is I really don't want them to remake Logan's Run, but there there's so many reasons for that. I, I, I mean, it's not just purely you know being a, a purist or being a naysayer or being an old man. It's just. I think there's there's a certain charm to this movie because it's it's a wonderful time capsule of so many things, you know, of the era, 
you know, as a society and our thinking and our, and our fears and trepidations about the future that was right around the corner, seemingly, I've always been in love, absolutely in love with the aesthetic of this movie because it's just at that right time. I, I find it, you know, just really perfect and, and charming that right at the time that, that this movie was being made and, and filmed and created, that you know the the what was supposed to be you know the literal city of the future epcot center was was simultaneously being designed at the same time and that they share uh an aesthetic they they look incredibly like one another and i don't think that's completely coincidental i i think that it's because that's where we were as a society at the time so on the on the one hand you've got this very bright hopeful vision of the future of what you know what one man hoped it would be and then on the other hand you've got this movie that that takes that same vision and and turns it on its ear as a as a sinister prediction of of where things are headed uh with the society and i don't know that any remake these days with with where we are as a society is going to be able to capture nuances like that because where are the positive predictions of the future these days and you don't see them you know and if you do it's something like tomorrowland that comes and goes and is a major flop because people see it as cheesy and corny and stupid and nobody believes that the future is going to be a positive place anymore so that that's what i like about you know, those movies of this era that are, you know, like Planet of the Apes was kind of mm-hmm. the same thing, that that dichotomy, um, because it was right on the on the on the edge and right on the, the cusp of when a, a whole new era of trepidation about the future was beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but as as perfect a movie as I think Planet of the Apes is, I think Logan's run does a better job of of again really showcasing uh where we were you know in, as a society and, and like it was right at the tipping point right there between that hopeful positive vision of the future and that you know dire prediction uh projection of the future and i, I just i can't see that ever being you know re-encapsulated as well as this movie does you know has it has it dated yes you know is it (laughs) kind of cheesy in a lot of ways yes you know the effects held up not all of them (laughs) many of them have not but there's a certain charm and perfectness to the whole thing that I, i just can't see them nailing again and one of the biggest things with uh, with me not wanting the movie to be remade is is one of the the best aspects of this movie that can never be recreated is Jerry Goldsmith's score. Mm. His score for this movie is one of his very best, and that's really saying something because the guy was a master of film music. And I, you know, I, what do you, who are you going to get? What are you going to get? What's it going to sound like? What's it going to be like? Now I'm talking like if they'd made like a literal remake of this movie, I, I don't think that they would actually make a literal remake. I think more than likely what they would do is they would do a reimagining of the movie, either yeah. trying to adapt the novels, you know, closer to the novels or 
doing like a Dawn of the Dead, where you take the basic premise, but then you do a completely new thing with it. I'm kind of okay with that, I guess. But at the end of the day, my answer is still, nah, I'd rather you just left it alone. <laughs> um, I, there's just been, there's been too many, especially in recent years, there's just been too many examples of taking an established property, especially one that I love, and even if it was an attempt to do it either completely reverently and, and lovingly as an homage or whatever, or taking just the basic idea and running a whole new direction, either one, there has been a mountain of failures of that in recent years that I feel now reflect very poorly on the original product. And, and so now you've got a whole generation of, of kids growing up and you mention a certain property to them and they just wrinkle their nose like, oh, that's crap. And they know nothing of the original that was actually a classic. So at the risk of damaging this movie, I'd really rather they just let it stand as it is as a, as a wonderful little time capsule of that era of of American futurism. So that's my take on it. See, I, I don't think it so much has that hopeful view of the future the way I see it, the way I interpret it is they show like the veneer of a perfect future. And then when you eliminate the veneer, you see all the warts. <laughs> and all right. The no, no, that's what I mean. No, I, I don't think it's a hopeful. What, what I mean is that, you know, it, I find it very, very interesting that it shares an aesthetic with Epcot center. That was the very hopeful vision of the future Whereas this looks exactly the same, yet is dark, you know, and and that's what I'm talking about. I, I I think it's it's the other side of a coin of our society of the time in the in the mid 1970s. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I got you know. Okay, I misunderstood what you were saying. And and I don't think you would get that today because today everything's a dark vision of the future. So where where's Where's the other, where's the positive side of the coin for you to darken? There isn't one. So that that's what I meant. That that that's one of the things that I, I look at this movie and I, I think is very interesting from like a like a societal mindset perspective, which is deeper for me for a movie than I normally think. But it's one of those things I, I can't help but notice because of the aesthetic of the of the film. I, I've thought this for a long time that it that it's so interesting that you have two completely different takes on the future, you know, two literal night and day interpretations of the future or projections of the future that share exactly the same aesthetic. And that that's just fascinating to me. And you're just, you're not going to get that with, with a remake or, or, a, or an HBO miniseries or whatever. You're just not, it's, you know, our, our, expectations of and demands of our media today and our entertainment are completely different than they were in the, the early to mid 1970s. You know, we were more content with a slower paced film that told a story uh, than today where we just want to see a lot of shit blow up and a lot of fast paced uh, quick cuts. You know, we want to see an MTV video uh, at the movies these days. And I, I don't want to see Logan's Run reduced to, you know, just a stupid action movie. So that's my take. All right. Well, 
unless you have any other notes on this, I think it's probably time to rate this book. I have one other big note on this one, and then I'll shut up. <laughs> so speaking of Star Wars, I can't help but point out that one week prior to this, on my ninth birthday, April 12th, 1977, guess what hit the stands? Star Wars number one, baby. So my disappointment that Logan's run didn't run more than seven issues is greatly mitigated by the fact that, uh, you know, Marvel lost this title, but, uh, you know, they gained Star Wars that went on to, uh, you know, the, the well-deserved renown of being the book that saved Marvel Comics in the 1970s in a nearly 10-year run. So that ain't yeah. so shabby. They yeah, saved just, Kenner. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I just had to point that out. All right. Who's uh, who you want to go? Well, we'll let our guest go first with the ratings on this if he's if he'd like. Okay. So the cover, I'm going to give a B to a B plus because I think it kind of intrigued you enough to say, hey, what's going on in this book? Because I don't like Sal Basima's art and it makes me think of Sal Basima. Or I'm not going to say I don't like his art because I don't like his art as much as others. That's why it's not moving into an A. But I like I like the composition on the cover. So I think it's a well, probably B plus. I like it. Uh, the art on the interior, I'm giving the B minus, C plus, and it's just because, as we discussed earlier, I think I think the combination is just doesn't complement each other. I, I, so the art didn't do it for me. The story I think is going to get me a B minus, just because it was too cluttered, uh, you know. Um, and then overall, I think a B. Okay. Um... I think I think the cover, you know, I said it's kind of the house style. I think it's okay. I don't think it's bad. Uh, but I think if it had been penciled by somebody who didn't try so hard to make it the house style, I think it it would have more of the dyna, dynamism that Gil Kane normally brings. And I think the putting a square peg into a round hole of making Gil Kane's art look like the house style uh, takes away from it. And, uh, you know, I apologize that I'm constantly ragging on Al Milgram, but <laughs> I guess it's just, it's just the nature of the beast these days. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to say it is a C cover that probably could have been a B plus cover. Uh, the interior art as as I as I said earlier, I think it, the melding of Sutton and, and Jansen does not work. I, I think both of them are fine artists in their own right, but they don't mesh well together. So I'm going to go with a C on that because I think I think either one of them, when paired with somebody else, could have made this much better. And the story. Boy, I just, I, I feel there's so much potential for this story to have gone places. And I feel like my biggest disappointment about it is just that they didn't get to do any more. So I'm trying to think of what rating I would give this story if if we were reviewing it right now with an expectation of issue 8 coming out. As opposed to knowing that there's all these dangling things that just never get resolved and never get to 
develop into things that would be more enjoyable. So, with that as a premise that I'm going to assume we were going to get an issue 8, I'm going to say a B on the story. Because I think if you could have brought it somewhere from here, it had potential. And I, as I read it, I wanted to read the next issue. And that's one of the things we look at is, you know, how much did it make you want to read the next issue? This one made me want to read the next issue very much. It couldn't get higher than that. In fact, I think I'm being generous on the rating uh, it, because there's too much exposition in it and there's too much flip-flopping. And we talked about all of that. And I think, you know, those are negatives. But overall, I really wanted more. So just that feeling of wanting more makes me give it that B. And I'm going to give the book overall a B minus. All right. Um, I'm trying not to let the fact that this was the unintentional last issue sway me in my grading on this. But right out of the gate, I'm going to be a hypocrite because I'm <laughs> swayed on a cover I really don't like. I'm swayed by the fact that the one thing I do like about it is Jessica. And I just realized that what I like so much about it is that because she's inked by Milgram here the same way she was inked by Milgram on the cover of issue one, we've kind of come full circle art wise. Mm -hmm. And I really do like how she looks here. She's very consistent with how she looks on the cover of, uh, of the first issue. So I was going to go really low on the cover cause I really don't like it. The, uh, the Cubs look like a cross between like zombie Morlocks and the lost boys from Peter Pan or something. They're just really freaky weird looking and just the, just the nature of the cover, you know, it, you know, for a change, it's a cover that's getting you exactly what you get inside the issue. But the problem is I look at this cover and I go, Oh God, the Cubs are back, which is what it's telling you. The Cubs are back. And I'm like, Oh God, I don't want to see the Cubs again. Um, so I'm going to go, uh, I'm tempted to go really low, but I'm, I'm going to go a B minus. It's not horrible. It's just disappointing to me. And the, and the art really could be a lot better. And I'm, I'm shocked it's Gil Kane. Cause I really like Gil Kane, but I'm not <laughs> nuts about this cover. Mm. Um, interior art, I would love to see the pencils of this because I'm convinced that it looks a lot better or looked a lot better before the inking. And I know that sounds really harsh. I, you know, I've come to really like and appreciate Klaus Jansen in a way that I never did when I was a kid. Um, you know, just over the years we've been doing this show, I've, I've seen so much of his stuff, like, uh, the, you know, those daredevil issues we looked at with, with him and Gene Cullen, um, you know, some de uh, Defenders issues I've seen, you know, that he inked. I really do like the guy when he's on his game, but somehow with this, he just was not on his game. Um, I, I don't see a whole lot of instances in this where I think he was helping the R. I think more often than not, he was hurting the R. I think he just doesn't mesh well uh, with Sutton, uh, same as Paul said. That said, there's also some wonky anatomy stuff here, too, and I don't know who to put the blame on with that. There's a shot here. I should have written it down. Oh, it's the next to last page. Page 30? That last panel. Well, yeah, there's that, and then there's where Priest, and then and the last panel at page 30 where he's going, we found them, fire at will. Look at his right arm. It's like an Escher drawing because that arm – 
can either be shooting in front of him or behind him. It's almost like it could be either his mm. right arm or you turn his body around and that could be his left arm. <laughs> it, it's really bizarre. It's just really bad and wonky anatomy. It's the perspective's all screwed up right there. It's like his elbow bends the opposite direction. Mm. So it's just, yeah, it's it's bad. And there's, there, you know, that's not the only example of it. But, you know, there's also some really good panels that I liked. You know, like Logan strolling through the city I really liked. Logan going and getting... The older model gun, which we never really talked about. I thought that was kind of, that was the only thing I remembered from uh, these post these two post movie issues of this series. Having read them as a kid, was I remembered the gun from the book because that is he, the gun from the book. And then he promptly lost it. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of good it did him. So art wise, uh, I'm gonna go a C plus on the art because there are there are parts. You know, parts of it that I really like, but overall, I, I think it was a serious step down from the last issue um, where uh, where Terry Austin was doing the inking on it. And then story-wise, I'm probably going to be kinder to it than maybe it deserves because it is the last issue, and I definitely see story potential here. Trying hard to grade it as just what it is and, and not take all that into account, but it's hard not to, so... I'm going to say, I think I'm also going to go a C plus on the story, which, again, maybe a little bit more than it really deserves, because I was disappointed with the issue. I, I felt it kind of dragged a bit. I felt that it needed to, to just get on with whatever the main thing was and leave these stupid cubs behind. But, you know, there, there were enough little seeds dropped of, of things that could have really sprouted into some really interesting and potentially some really great stories. So yeah, it, it is disappointing that, that this was the end of the whole thing. So overall grade on this, I'm going to say, uh, I, I think I'll go a B minus. I think I'll echo you guys on a B minus for this. Cause I, I did enjoy it and I'm, I'm sad it's over. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Uh, so that'll be it for Marvel's Logan's run. John, thanks for coming on with us tonight. Hey, thanks. This was really fun. I enjoyed it, and uh, uh, thanks for letting me share one of my favorite stories with you guys. Well, thank you for joining us. Well, we appreciate you making the time for us. And I guess uh, is uh, your internship over with the Third Degree Burn guys your only active podcasting right now? No, it's not over. Yeah, that we're still. Uh, we're still pulling out some great burn issues, and uh, no, I understand that. I oh. know what I meant was, are there any other shows that you're appearing on? Oh What's no, that? that's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's not it. it. From from talking to the boys, it doesn't sound like they have any plan on getting rid of you. <laughs> great, we're having fun. I'll do the pimping for you. You could find John over at Third Degree Burn with our friends uh, Brian and Tim, and uh, and I, I guess Kirk was, is also an intern over there. So it's a whole whole big group of John Byrne Appreciation Society and it's a fun show so uh, I, I always recommend it now John what else uh, what else do you like in the world of funny books that you'd uh, like to join us to talk about again in the future at some point that you don't get to talk about over on Third Degree Burn oh, if you guys ever tackle the invaders I'd love to join that I love that series well every once in a while we, we crack out an issue 
over Scott's objection. <laughs> you know, it's 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 funny you say that because uh, recently uh, I've had a good number of uh, of those issues fall in my lap, either for free or for cheap, and uh, so I've I've added it to my want list and I've been actively pursuing issues of it. So I was shocked to learn that there's not more issues than I than I thought there were because I for some reason I I had that in my mind like up there with like all-star squadron where where it had like an equal run and it's nowhere near as many issues as that if so i remember right it's about 40 something yeah issues. so yeah. it's 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 achievable yeah yeah oh yeah i achieved it a couple of years ago yeah and if you guys ever want to talk about the old champion series or the perez the original inhumans those are fun all right so we'll keep you in mind and we'll have you back here one day soon yeah great yeah i'd be up for it you're all of those no, we could, all we right, could do so. all three in one show. Everybody right. bring one book from, from each series. There you go. <laughs> okay, we'll look into that. But in the meanwhile, thank you everybody for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.
one point Matthew came in here and he started asking me something and he muted my microphone on Skype, but I think it still records it. So when it separates into the two tracks, you're going to have to silence me. Not a problem. I enjoy silencing you. <laughs> it's, yeah, I know it's one of your favorite hobbies. <laughs> I really enjoyed right. this. I, I think that was a really good episode. I think so too. I think it's going to be a, it's I, going to be a good one. I, I, I think we finished strong, unlike the series itself. 